Hello, my name is Mark Taylor and you're very welcome to the show, which is part of the Education on Fire podcast network. I just wanted to take this moment to thank our sponsor, the National Association for Primary Education, who speak for young children and all who live and work for them. This can include parents, teachers, governors and all those interested in primary education. NAEP, which is a non-political charity, works tirelessly to support teachers in the classroom and leads the primary umbrella group of 30 primary subjects associations and unions and gives teachers and schools a voice at governmental level at consultation meetings with ministers for schools. If you'd like your voice to be heard and to find out more information, please visit their website at nape.org.uk. That's N-A-P-E Hello and welcome to the Education on Fire podcast. The place where we share creative and inspiring learning in our schools. Hello, my name is Mark Taylor. Welcome back to the Education on Fire podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. We really appreciate you taking the time and the interest in in the work that we're doing here. This is season seven, focusing on well-being. And if you've missed the first two episodes, the launch show, where I talk a little bit about my personal background and last week when we were chatting to Peppy Pels about the work they're doing with social and emotional learning with their apps and books and films, just check those out in the previous two episodes and it will give you a great insight to, to where we're heading and what we're doing in this season. Today I'm chatting to Sam Moyne and he's from Student Breakthrough and he lives not too far from me so we're able to meet up in person which I always love and have a great conversation about his aspirations as as a student into his professional life, how he decided to then go into teaching and now how he's morphed again into being a coach and he's supporting so many children and so many pupils to really understand what it is that they're doing and what they're feeling as they're going through their educational experience and at the end of this episode, he has the opportunity to share with you and to actually support you in the coaching program he's doing, which you can then take back into your school as well, which I think is a great opportunity. And as I said, that's at the end of this episode. So to get those links about the coaching and to find out more details about Sam and everything that we're doing, go to educationonfire.com forward slash student breakthrough. That's educationonfire.com forward slash student breakthrough. Hello, welcome back. I'm now joined by Sam Moyne, who is from Student Breakthrough. Thanks very much for joining us. Let's have let's start a little bit about what is Student Breakthrough and, and what does it mean for you? What's your vision? So the vision of Student Breakthrough is to revolutionise emotional support for young people and create lasting change for future generations. Wow, and how do you do that? What how, how does that work in practice? At the moment, it's giving students and young people the skills, the tools and the vision so they can see a bigger and brighter future. So the future generation thing is all about giving these students the skills and they can then impact other people in their lives. Maybe when they have children, you know, the goalposts have moved slightly for them just to make people more happier and more successful. And the thing that I really loved when I, I first came across the work that you were doing was the fact that it was identifying the fact that children in school, at whatever age they are at the moment, have this sense of a system that they have to be involved in. And with that comes pros and cons. And, and obviously, well-being is an important factor of that and how the system affects their well-being. But the fact that what you identified was, was that sometimes the system has a direct negative influence or if they need the extra support, they don't actually fit. There's not enough time within the system to really do that. Is that right? That's kind of uh, an important factor of why you decided to get out of teaching, which we're going to talk about in a minute, and actually set up Student Breakthrough as an organisation. Yeah, I think the time when I was a, a teacher, we had 10 minutes t- of time the whole year where we sat down with our, our form students or form pupils. 
to really talk what was going on for them. So that was 10 minutes of the whole year. Yeah, we had those conversations during the school year, but this is guaranteed time. And it just wasn't enough time to give every student like the one-on-one attention that they need. And if a student is going through a tough time, they usually go and see the school counsellor. And counselling is important. Don't get me wrong, it does help people. But I think for some students, it's not the best way. Digging up the past pain is not the best way. And we could be just talking about the present moment and then how that's going to help their future. So I think this type of support is where we need to be going with it. Yeah, And I think this is why this podcast is really important because what it's going to cover, we're going to be talking about the direct impact it has on on children in terms of primary and secondary. We're going to be talking about what it's like as a teacher and maybe some insights for teachers that are doing it. And I know you've been working in primary and secondary, so we've got a real broad thing to, to really be able to help so many people. So let's rewind it back. Let's start in terms of you were at school, you decided what it is that you wanted to be doing. Take us through that journey and how that then got you there into your initial career and how then you are where you are now. Yeah, cool. So uh, we'll go all the way back. So when I was at school, I wasn't very confident. Hated big groups of people, didn't really know what I wanted to do. And I got a little bit picked on. And I always looked up to my dad, which I think most guys do. Now, my dad is an amazing guy. He fought in the Falklands War. He's a Royal Marine Commando. So growing up, I was like, to be, to make my dad proud of me and to get the confidence I needed, I had to go and join the British Army. Now, he didn't tell me to do that. Honestly, this is just a belief that I had, that I had to make him proud. So that's what I decided to do. I was training so much for the Army. This was when I was about 1920. Going on so many runs. I remember distinctly, it was snowing. I was doing press-ups in the snow. Like, that's how bad I wanted it. And... If you listen to this, I want you to think of a time when you're at your best. Oh, when life was amazing. So get that time in your head. Because for me, this was in 2012. And I got a letter through the post from the Royal Anglian Regiment. And 21 years old, I run over this letter, pick it up, undo the letter, or open the letter up. And it says, Sam, you've passed initial tests. We'd love to have you in the British Army and apply you for Sandhurst, which is the Officer Training Academy. And I was buzzing, I was so happy, ran up to my dad. He was just, had the biggest smile on his face. And at that moment, that little boy that wasn't very confident finally felt like he was gonna get the confidence. But two weeks later, life threw me a curveball. And again, I want you to picture a time when you're at your worst, when you're really upset, when you lost direction. Because of me, two weeks after this, I got another letter, the same letter through the post, which I didn't expect, so I wasn't really buzzing about this one, went over and picked it up. And it says, Sam, unfortunately, you failed the medical exam and you will not be considered for selection. And in that moment, yeah, my whole world kind of came down on me because that little boy who was seven years old or however old I was, was still inside me thinking, how am I going to get this confidence? And... I remember getting my coffee cup, smashing it against the wall. And I, I cried for about three days. I was broken. And I've got Crohn's disease as well. So that's why I couldn't get in. But me as a naive 21-year-old, I was like, you know what? It's going to be fine. I take one pill a day. And yeah, I remember being very lost. Really, really lost. And this was a month before I graduated. So all of a sudden, it was like, what am I going to do for a job? So I took a year out. And I did like... Worked at a coffee shop, went traveling. My mom was a primary school teacher back in the day. And 
I was like, you know what? I'm going to give teaching a crack. So I applied for teacher training. I did that whole year. And I got into my first school as an NQT. And in my NQT year, stuff started to unravel again for me. Because I still felt like I was, you know, lost. I still felt broken. Yeah, teaching was great, but I was like, this isn't what I want to be doing necessarily. And the weight of that really just led to quite a lot of anxiety in my life. Um, I developed chronic insomnia for about a year. So I'd roll into school and like an hour's sleep. I remember literally like nearly bursting into tears in front of classes because I was, I was so dumb. And uh, it was a really low point in my life. But then one day I met someone who really did change my life. And my friend came into my bedroom and I was just in pieces, pretty emotional. And he said, look, speak to my friend. He's a coach. So I looked at him, I was like, isn't a coach someone for rugby, football, cricket, maybe a musical instrument, that kind of thing? And he said, no, this guy's a coach for your mindset and how you feel inside. That's why I had nothing to lose, right? I was, you know, when you're at the bottom of the mountain, there's only one way up. I was like, you know what, I'm going to give it a crack. And I spoke to this guy on the phone for about half an hour. And it was a really emotional call. I, I cried lots. After the call, I felt like this big weight was lifted off my shoulders. April 23rd, 2015, I remember the date so well. It changed my life, and it sounds cliche, but it did. And I learned three things from that call. Number one, that that whole failure in my life at the army was actually a blessing. It was, it was meant to happen. Uh, number two, as a young man, expressing how I felt was so important. I wasn't suppressing it now. I was actually expressing it. And the third thing which is a bit of a later one I found out, but also this needs to be in schools to help young people. And I remember putting my headphones on. I love drum and bass. And I walked around this park with my drum and bass music on and I was crying again. But this was like happy tears. And the whole park was visual. Like it was multicolored. It looked alive. Just felt amazing for the first time in a, in a couple of years. And I went back to school and I fell in love with my job. Like, I really showed up with purpose. Before I was playing small, I was probably turning up 60%. And now I was giving 100% to these kids. My lessons became, again, more alive, more vibrant. Like, the, the part, anyway, just really enjoyed myself. But I still saw students who were like me at school. Not very confident. Some of them who were underachieving. Not very motivated. And the system wasn't helping them in any way. So one night in bed, I then got this, this massive brainwave and I always get my ideas when we're, we remove the noise in our heads. So usually before you go to bed, maybe on a walk, idea came to me, what if I coach students? Just like I got coached. So that's exactly what I did. I did loads of research into coaching and I found a company in America called Academic Life Coaching and I signed up, I invested a fair bit of money and I trained with them for six months. And I learned loads of skills and tools to help students from a coaching perspective. And I asked some students if they wanted to be practiced, coached. And I had quite a few of them sign up. And it was just an amazing experience, like watching these students develop. They, their grades improved. Their relationships with their parents improved. Their mental health improved. I remember leaving some of those early coaching sessions. And I'd be crying in my car on the way home, like floods of tears. And it was that moment I really knew that this is what I wanted to do and this is the impact it needs to have. 
And um, yeah, since then, I left my job and we've run Student Breakthrough for over a year and we've helped nearly 200 students now, from primary to secondary to graduates and everyone in between, just become more successful and happy and confident in who they are. But, um, you know, all, all this stuff stems from a place of failure, really, a place of setback. But it's from that place that then, you know, I grew. And it, there's a great quote, it's, what you go through is what you grow through, which I love. Because I went through some real heartbreak and most of your listeners have gone through some heartbreak, but you come out the other side. And it takes you in that direction that you want to go in. I mean, it's an amazing story. And one of the things that strikes me, and it's, it's the reason that I was motivated really to set the podcast up, was so that people can hear things which are different than what they see in school. Um, and also through the Learning on Fire podcast, actually people can hear exactly some of the things that people have been through that actually make their life understandable and like you said it's often not the fact I've got a dream and this is my five steps to getting there it's actually understanding who you are it's understanding that actually some of the best lessons that you ever learn come from what perceived to be failures but in reality are just the gifts and the insights that you need in order to be able to follow your path Um, and what you said about the fact that in schools there's not that time to be able to go in to give children and, and, and pupils what they need to actually have that time to do it because they're in school the the program and, and the classes and the timetables are so full on that it just is bang, 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 bang. And the one thing I know certainly from primary all the way through is that children generally don't want to be wrong and they don't want to necessarily feel like they don't know something. And so it's very hard then to actually have this sense of a growth mindset, even though we, they, you hear that quite a lot in schools now, or that they don't want to be the one that says, oh, but I'm not sure about this, or I'm not sure about that. Or if they do need to do that, how do they go about doing that maybe one-on-one in a way that's very difficult in a large classroom? So I think it's really interesting and really important that people hear that. And and so tell us a little bit about how Student Breakthrough is able to support schools in doing that, because I know you've been in primary schools, for example. Is that, a, is that just one of those schools that just understands it and so then wants to help help their children because they know it's important and they've made that extra time which maybe other schools wouldn't think is in the curriculum because that's that's what I love is the fact that you, they can hear that other people are actually doing it with purpose and I think that's the really key thing to share. Yeah the primary school program is so much fun so it's called the primary breakthrough and my brother's a year one primary school teacher which is so I'm a secondary school history teacher by trade so I've got my 3B program which is boost believe and breakthrough so that's our secondary school student program but I go to my brother Ben and I'm like, Ben, can a 10-year-old access this? And he's great. He's like, yes, but here are some things we tweak. So it's about changing some of the words. Like we, when we look at their beliefs, we look at their thoughts. Like what are their negative thoughts and what's the impact of that instead of belief? Because, you know, that word belief for a 10-year-old can be quite challenging. We've got like cartoons on there. We make it um, really, really interactive in terms of moving around the room. So it's a lot more, um, lots lots more movement to pull them in, but it's the same process. And I remember when I worked with first primary school student, uh, his name was George, he was seven years old. And I was like, can this work for him? And you know what it did? And he got, I saw his end of year school report and it's glowing because he was able to talk to someone for the first time about what was going on. And usually what we'll talk about is stuff that the parents talk to them about as well. But it's from that different perspective that allows students to, to express in a different way how they're feeling. And also, 
what student breakthrough about is you know relatability as well it's not about having someone the students can't connect with it's all about getting relatability and trust from the get-go and I always share my story in that very first session because then they're like wow Sam's been really honest and open with us let's share what's going on you know in our lives so it's so important to have honesty integrity and trust with this because otherwise nothing happens but yeah the primary school program is really fun secondary school we go a little bit deeper but it still runs six sessions. Um, I think the program at the moment, we look at stuff like setting a vision for the students, working on their motivation, getting that positive mindset in place, which is like, yeah, it's a word that's thrown around, but it's about actually working out the steps that that individual student needs to then start yeah, taking action on that mindset. And that's the big problem I see with supporting schools at the moment. The support that's offered is, it's like me and Mark having a chat right now, it gets a bit emotional, the door shuts, and that's it. Where student breakthrough, it's super positive, it's in the present, but we ask the students what do they want to do. Honestly, asking a 10-year-old, what do you want to work on this week? That first session, they're like, I don't know. But then they get excited because they're not being told what to do. And people might think like, yeah, life coaching, Sam, you're, you're, you're mentoring, you're telling these kids. I never tell them anything. I ask questions. And then they take action steps. And it's because they are taking action steps that they are then empowered to do it because it's not dad, mum, teacher telling them. It's interesting, isn't it? That, that whole essence of being told what to do, which I think is, is a really Im- it's an important thing to understand and actually something to filter out in lots of ways. That I always bring it back to the, you never teach a toddler how to walk. They, they naturally know what to try and do and they fail time and time and time again. And then they can walk and then they can run and it happens very organically. And I think... If we can just understand that that's the nature of how children learn mm. and then bring that into everything that they do, um, then I think it would be a much more organic place, which is, is exactly what you've been talking about. Very different and very difficult in the current um, education climate where it's into school at four, it's testing here, it's testing there, it's accountability, it's about all of those things. And so immediately there's all this sort of layers of stuff coming on the children, whether they know it or not, which is understandable that by the time you sort of get into the end of primary, into secondary, and then before you're even thinking about exams and all that kind of thing, you know, you've got this, all they've known their entire sort of learning life is this added layer and layer of stuff. And I think what you're talking about just have that well, what do you want to do what's important to you how is it that it affects you let's you know let's talk about you as an individual that's a whole different way of even being isn't it let alone the actual let alone the actual things that you positively that you can do and open their mind to it so when you talked about having these six sessions is it one-on-one is it a whole class is it something you do in in different age groups how, how does that work yeah it varies we do one-on-one coaching so we worked initially with pupil premium students in year 11, which was so much fun because some of these students were, you know, lack kids who so looked after students, looked after children, sorry. And some of these students haven't got many aspirations and giving them just this, this different perspective and that someone actually cares was so important because with that pupil premium money, lots of the time it's spent on extra English and maths. Now, don't get me wrong, that is important. For students who are switched off from school, who don't really know, can't really see a future, are down about their lives, why not give them something different than English and maths to help them give them that boost? So that's what we did with the year 11s. We did one-on-one coaching for, yeah, an hour session. 
So back to back. And we had some great transformations. Um, we got some great testimonies from form tutors saying thanks for the impact. From students independently messaging me saying like, thank you so much. It's like transformed my life. And then we also ran workshops for Key Stage 3. So we did uh, Year 7 and Year 8. And that was between three and four students. Now that's slightly different because we have to follow a set program. The one-on-one coaching, I just show up and respond to the student. But for the workshop, we took them through, yeah, a set program, a process. But the schools manage the groups really well. So sometimes you'd have, I think for the primary schools, we had some people, premium students in with other students and that's how they, they were able to fund that program. But yeah, we take them through a set, set program in the workshops and the schools put the students together who they work, the students that work well together. Okay, so that being said, they might not be friends, but they're going through the same problems. So we might have a, a workshop of anxious year seven girls. We might have, we had some year nine workshops of disruptive boys. So they group them accordingly to their needs, which is fantastic because if you have a low motivated boy who hates school and a really quiet, quiet shy, anxious girl, then obviously they're not going to share in front of each other. And that's the important thing. It's about you know, voicing what's going on. It's about being honest. And if you can't do that, then the coaching session is pretty pointless. <laughs> and I think um, this came up in an interview I did recently, was the fact that maybe it's partly a social media thing, but it's certainly partly a perceptual thing, that everyone thinks that everyone else's life is fantastic. They're not going through the same struggles, that actually everyone else has got it all sussed. Um, and, and actually, I think hearing that everyone has that you know whether they need to know the personal details whether they just understand that other people are anxious other people have lower um, self-esteem or the fact that they're struggling in a subject where they they're perceived to be doing well whatever it happens to be sharing that and knowing that you're in the same environment is a really important factor I would imagine so true we're not going to go I don't want to delve into the social media thing but people see you know social media is a highlight reel and you know don't let someone's highlight reel be your reality that's a great thing to take away and for me, I'm all about integrity. I was working so hard, pushing it so hard, and I've never had a flare-up of my Crohn's disease. I've had it since I was 16, I'm now 28, and never had a flare-up. I start running a business, and I'm in hospital for four days. And yeah, I could have, that was my first month I ever made money, by the way, ever made a profit. Up to that point, it was loss, 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 loss. Now, I could have done a post being like, hey, I finally made some money, look how successful I am. I didn't, I said, this is what happens when you push it too hard. You end up in hospital. And I do make a point of being straight up and up front with people, you know, showing the people, yeah, I'm this positive guy. You know, I do all these, I'm on great podcasts like this and things are starting to really go my way now. But I tell people how it is. If I've been upset, if I've been in hospital, if I'm, if I'm not feeling myself, I make a point of letting people know because, yeah, we do get sucked into this feeling that, Oh, Sam's got this great post on Instagram. He's doing really well. You know, I had three people show up to one of my events the other day. I cried all the way to the event. I was done. It caused me so much stress and anxiety. I did a post on it before. And I cried all the way to the event. I got out of the car and I needed that emotional release. And then I went and ran the event, you know? And that's what I mean. You ride the highs and the lows, but don't tell people that, oh my God, I've had 300 people at my event <laughs> when I had three. You know, so don't let someone's social media, their highlight reel, be your reality because it's not. We all go through struggles. We all go through pain. And never put anyone on a pedestal. That's another big, big lesson to learn. Yeah. 
and and I think um, certainly for teachers and and um, and people within schools, sometimes it is that sense that your reality is what you know within the four walls of your classroom or your um, or your school, and that's the same thing. And the reason I love about the podcasting and I've been able to talk to lots of different people doing different things is people start to hear. I think actually it's different everywhere. There are other ways of coming and. It was interesting that you talked about that um, some of the work you got was through pupil premium. It's that, well, we don't have any money to support children. Well, there's pockets of money in, in all sorts of ways. The important thing is that you open up the conversation as to how can we help these children. You know, the school that decides that more maths and English isn't necessarily going to be the way forward. You know, I did an interview recently for the National Association for Primary Education podcast, and that was all about the new Humanities 2020 project. And they were having that same thing, actually, having a broader curriculum you know having um, geography and history especially through primary school you know the arts involved it might be that that particular child is the one that loves to dance the one that loves to be a musician the one that's voice comes through in a completely different way and so finding out how you can do all of these things just opens up their world enough to start a conversation which might need to have to talk to someone like you or it might just be that they realize that oh English first thing every day or maths first thing everything I just can't do school oh but I've got the rest of this day where I can do it brilliantly and then you start to talk about that individuality of everybody and, and how you sort of fit into that particular world looking forward how do you see an education system that can be supportive for children across the ages or or or, or, do, or do you think that's not necessarily a reality? You know, do you sort of see your work as something which is supportive around it? Like you said, you know, maybe it's coaching outside of school. It's, it's a snapshot in school, being able to get the viewing of, of students thinking, oh, I need that. Oh, I can't get it today in school, but I can get it outside of school. Or, um, I mean, you're brilliant on social media. We talked about social media, but you're brilliant in terms of being visible to people in a way which they understand, you know, that they can do, that they can relate to. And it might be that actually it's not through the school environment. That that's the way that they're going to get, get your, your help. So how do you sort of see that sort of fitting in? There's lots of problems and everyone knows there's lots of problems in education. Like most, you know, public, sorry, government funded, um, you know, NHS, stuff like this. Like there's lots of problems in schools and you can't wave a magic wand and fix these. It's going to take you know, a long time. One of the reasons I left was just it felt like a pressure cooker. You know, the head teachers under pressure to get results. They put pressure on us teachers. We then have to get some of these kids ridiculously high targets, and then the, the students are crumbling under pressure as well. So, one of the reasons I left was we just had this with the recent curriculum change. Just this obsession with testing, and it's not the school's fault. It's the education policy. I think we need to test students much later. I think we need to get rid of. Stats. I think we need to get rid of this rigorous testing from literally. My brother did was doing phonics screening with year fours. No, sorry, yeah, sorry, four year olds. And I asked him, are these how are these students responding? He said, some of them are rising to the challenge. Some of them are crumbling. Some of them don't want to come to school and they're crying. Is that really beneficial to a four year old? You know, setting them up. This is this is your life now until you're eighteen. I think we need to totally cut back on the testing cut back on the data and yeah for the emotional support is finding a different approach than the kids who we'd call wobbly which I hate that word right what does that mean I think everyone's in school feels a bit wobbly right but giving more students access to a different type of support that's not talking about the past it's about the present how can we affect the future and having that more 
in the mainstream. Now, I don't know how that looks because I know schools haven't got any time and budget and I'm not here to preach that you can just click your fingers and get this in. But there needs to be a different approach because it's not working. And you look at, you know, me and my brother, one of the, some of the statistics for teachers, I left after four years, no, five years. He's left after two. Now, he's a fantastic teacher. He got pushed out of his school because he was just being micromanaged. There was so much pressure on him. And he left, and it's such a shame. And he's never going to go back. And that's what I mean. The system is broken because we can't retain great, outstanding teachers like my brother. The thing that's, well, incredibly sad and positive in, in, in that statement in as much as they absolutely should be the, the backbone of teaching <laughs> because, you know, they understand it. They want the best for their pupils. They obviously are great teaching that actually we wish that all our children are going to go through. The positive thing is the fact that it gave you the start that you needed to start Student Breakthrough, which is helping so many people in so many different ways. So it, it's it's that kind of morph. Like I say, it's hard to know where the system is and how it's going to develop, but I guess it's actually through this organic development because people are leaving, but they still want to help. They still want to support. They still want to find a way to make that difference. And you're right, you know, unless there's someone who's got access to policy change where they can say, oh, we've got no time to do anything related to supporting children, which is amazing to even consider, but it seems to be that that's the way it is. Um, but if there was no testing, if it was a completely different way of learning, then you've got loads of time. In fact, you've got all the time that you want, because if you start with that essence of we want children to be happy, we want them to understand what life is about for them, how they fit into the world, and then education is a support system. It's a tool to give them the skills they need to move forward. You know, you need to learn to read. You need to learn to do maths. You need to learn about the world. You need to understand science to whatever level we perceive that to be important at. Because then if you want to be a scientist, then you need science. But none of that makes any difference if inside, like you say, you're crumbling or you feel insecure, or you're anxious, and you can't actually literally string two words together because you, you can't get out of bed in the morning. I mean, it just seems that... <laughs> the energy just came to mind is that you know I'll, I want to be the fastest hundred meter sprinter. You know I'm going to go out and I'm going to practice and practice and practice and practice. Except I can't actually get out of bed because I'm so worried about failing. <laughs> it's just it's never going to happen because until you're really wanting to get out of bed and practice and train, then the rest of it's immaterial, really. Yeah, that's the thing. We can set high targets. We can push students through the same system, and we can yeah test and test and test them. But if they haven't got resilient mental health or they've got such a fixed mindset or they just feel unbelievable pressure and they can't deal with it, then it's literally pointless. And I don't have an ideal plan of what it looks like. I know that we need to get a different type of emotional support for students and teachers. And I know that we need to test less. Because honestly, we were doing... So I was teaching, what, 350 students a year? And we did six tests. So every, every term we do a test, plus then all the other you know, the stress that put on me. And when I go back into schools, I'm like, wow, I can't believe I was doing that. And it's just, like I said, this pressure cooker waiting to explode. We've got to release some of the pressure. And I think the way to do that is to lose our focus on data as much or rely on data as much as we do. Because, you know, what's bashing a couple of numbers into a keyboard really telling us about that student? And the really important factor carrying on from that, of course, is the fact that what does that make the student feel like as well? You know, it's that kind of, oh, this is how you've got to be. And um, I'm not sure if I've told this story on the podcast before, and I won't name the school, but we had parents' evening uh, a few months ago. And and a lot of the parents' evening, as, as these things have to be geared up to, is that 
it's all based on what your predicted levels are well in the fu- well in the future and this particular subject which i won't main- name either said oh well, you're doing really well because you're at this level related to um what we think you should be doing so i asked what where did this level come from oh it's based on what you did in primary school okay but they don't do this subject in primary school in the same way that you're doing it here so yeah but we sort of use the data that we've got and then we sort of come up with a plan and do this and so i mean my daughter's sat next to her and i'm sort of looking and then i said so so just that i'm i'm clear and i appreciate that you're doing what you have to do i'm not you know i'm not saying that you shouldn't but as a parent coming in here what we've just established is that my daughter's doing well in a subject based on the data you've got from a different school in a different subject and what you're thinking she's doing in five years time and can i just pause you there do you honestly in that moment with the year seven daughter you care about the data no all parents care about are their student are their children happy are they safe are they just putting the good effort in and you know who who cares about your daughter in year seven in terms of her data yes it's a, don't get me wrong it's important we track students in the progress but isn't it about their well-being first before we then pile on this data and, you know, I fell into the trap. I was getting students to write their target grades and their, their um, the end-of-year targets. I mean, it's always chasing targets, chasing targets, chasing targets. And then where does that leave us? With broken students who can't handle themselves, or can't handle pressure, or can't handle failure. It's, it's broken. It's a broken system. It really is. And, and my, my answer to that was, that's why we don't get involved in all of that. Because it's, it's, it's just nonsense. I mean, it is absolutely nonsense. And, and the interesting thing was, having been through that whole sort of parents' evening scenario, was that what we got from it was, one, you're working hard. One, you seem to be really enjoying school. And there was an obvious theme, which didn't come through any of the data, was the fact that it seemed to be at a new school. She took a, a term or so to see what, how the lamb was lying. She, we knew she had friends and she was doing okay. But there was a point two or three months in where she suddenly shone. And I think she became in the school the same way that she was at the end of primary school, where she felt really, really secure and knew what was going on. And we said, and that's the most important thing for us, because what we've understood is that you've gauged what's going on, you're happy, you're working well, and actually now you're showing up in the world as you which is all that you have to do and and that came across all sorts of subjects in all sorts of ways data unrelated and and as you said as a parent that's what I want to know and you will achieve what you achieve in whichever way you do and you have these conversations about how these things fit in and and that's uh yeah that's a really key thing so just to start to to round off what advice would you give your younger self now looking back going through if, if they were sort of going through schooling and struggling if there was sort of something that you could just say, if you knew this, this would really actually help. I'd say it'd be this, which is failure is a blessing. When at my end of my teaching career, when I got more into my coaching, I used to have that printed off on huge letters in my classroom, failure is a blessing. Remember the head teacher came in one day. I said, uh, Mr. Warner, what's, uh, what's that about? We had a conversation about it. I said, look, it doesn't mean that I want students to constantly fail, but I want them to embrace they're suffering and what they're going through. And I say suffering if they've got a bad grade. And I never talked about the mark with students by the end. I just asked themselves these two questions. And this is what I would install in myself back in the day. Failure is a blessing. 
Every time you have a setback, ask these two questions. Number one, what can I learn from this? And number two, how can I use this knowledge? And I'd have that with me the whole time. And then that would make my whole journey just much more manageable. Because when we start seeing failure as a true learning experience, you know, what you go through is what you grow through, then there's no setbacks. And, you know, I have setbacks in business all the time now. School's not saying they don't want the program or they haven't got budget or they can't find the time. And you know what? It's all cool because I'm going, it takes me in a different direction. So 100%, that'd be my thing. That Sam, failure is a blessing. And for people who want to know more about Student Breakthrough and all the things that you offer, where's the best place for them to find out? Yeah, so Student Breakthrough, we are on Facebook and Instagram, which is at Student Breakthrough. So go check us out. I'm pretty big on Instagram, you know, posting stuff um, for students. And you can see our events on there that are coming up. Our website is www.studentbreakthrough.com, where, again, you can see all the stuff we're doing. We've got some exciting things coming up. Um, and we're actually launching a new training program for teachers and educators called the Coach Breakthrough. So we've had three people sign up so far. And this is giving you out there the skills, the tools, and the whole program and the coaching training to then go and deliver this program in your school or wherever you see fit. So that's the Coach Breakthrough. And if, again, if you want to find out more information, just send me a message online. And my email address is on there as well. That's fantastic. And, that, and that's where you see the real growth. That's where you see the difference happening. Like I said, you, you, you don't know how education is going to change, except through something like that idea, you could have every teacher or a teacher in every school in the country and beyond actually been able to support pupils in a way that they would never have understood before and that's not come through an inset or a cpd that they have to do it's something which hopefully through this podcast they would have heard and they relate and they understand what these things are and that makes a massive difference so well sam thanks so much for chatting to me today it's been absolutely fantastic and inspirational and i wish you all the success in the future thank you mark have a great day Thanks for listening to the Education on Fire podcast. For more information of each episode and to get in touch, go to educationonfire.com. Education is not the filling of a pail, but the lighting of a fire. Do you need help and support in creating and embedding music in your school? If so, we have created Primary Music on Fire to help you with just this, a music membership site that's taking the fear out of teaching music by giving you the step-by-step skills and ongoing support you need to produce lifelong musical memories for you, your school, and your pupils. Go to educationonfire.com forward slash primary hyphen music.